Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bound. And as 2021 draws to a close, it's time to take stock and reflect on the past 12 months. While there might be some aspects of the year that we're happy to leave behind, there are plenty of cultural triumphs that will stay with us well into 2022 and beyond. So to lend their insight to 2021's best books, films and records, I have three panellists joining me today. Uh, here to share her top cinematic moments, the film critic and host of the Girls on Film podcast, Anna Smith. Then we'll hear about the best books of the year from the writer Chris Power and finally The Guardian's deputy music editor Laura Snapes is on hand with her top albums of the year. Welcome to the programme everybody. Nice to see you. Dividing and conquering. Some in the studio, some on the line. Um, We'll see won't we through the the mastery of trickery whether when we listen to this back whether anyone can tell who's here and who's not here, who's a hologram, who's perfor- who's doing their holographic tour. Um, Anna Smith um, for films. We're going to come to you, come to you first. Lovely to have you on the program as we round up uh, the year. So where are we? Where are we starting um, on your thoughts? Sort of three hits of the year. Anna? Oh, it's been a great year for film and women in film. So I'm going to start with a female-centered film called "I'm Your Man," and this is Germany's entry for the best international Oscar feature. And um, it's a fascinating, quite funny film about a woman who um, enters into an experiment to see if she could date a robot. And that robot is played by Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey with an interesting German accent. Um, and it, but you know what? This is a very intelligent romantic comedy. It's sort of a sci-fi, sort of a fantasy. There's a lot about identity, humanity, self-love, happiness, the nature of happiness. It was filmed during COVID very efficiently, very well. And it's directed by Maria Schrader, who gave us Unorthodox on the TV. I don't know if you saw that. She's a really strong director. Um, and it's based on a, on a book. And I absolutely love this film. It's a great kind of conceit, right? We've all been there. Are you a robot? Are you the real thing? Um, <laughs> a lot was spoken about, I mean, amazing directorial and writing talent, as you said. But the interesting casting of Dan Stevens, this seems like it might be kind of going into, into awards season. And he's kind of quite a strong, he's a strong robot. He is. He's, he's, he gets the tone just right because he's one of these sentient robots that's obviously humanoid. He's not, you know, made to look robotic particularly. Um, so, but, he starts, but he starts off acting more robotic and then gradually learns. The idea is that um, Alma, the, the, you know, his sort of female human partner, he gets to know her and gets to learn her preferences and very gradually um, becomes more and more intelligent and sentient. Um, so he's, he goes through quite an interesting trajectory on that level and he's very good at that journey but also what we do know if we've seen a lot of Dan Siemens is that he's very funny and he really handles the comedy very well and intelligently here opposite Maren Egel so I think the two of them great and I do actually think he could be quite in with a chance in award season yes Okay, so that is I'm Your Man um, from director and writer Maria Schrader next up another fantastic female film director uh, and writer and I guess a return to form for, for Jane Campion. Talk us through her movie. It just came out a couple of months ago, didn't it? The, the Power of the Dog, Anna. That's right. The Power of the Dog, absolutely extraordinary film based on a little-known novel. Um, stars Benedict Cumberbatch as a rather kind of very gruff, masculine rancher in Montana back in the day. And he takes against his brother's new wife, played by Kirsten Dunst, and indeed also her son, played by Cody Smith-McPhee. And the son is, um, you know, rather feminine and possibly gay, we don't know. Um, and Benedict's character really takes against him. And then this very kind of passive-aggressive um, cat-and-mouse game plays 
is really between the three of them and it's an absolutely stunningly beautiful looking film uh, extremely gripping and you really the strength of this is that you absolutely have no idea where it's going if you haven't read the book and you were just on the edge of your seat should we get ourselves into the sort of vibe anyway uh, this is um benedict cumberbatch as I mean, it says in my notes, a charismatic rancher. Um, this, this is The Power of the Dog from Jane Campion. 25 years since our first run together. 1900 and nothing. It's a long time. What's it doing? Getting mixed up with her. You are marvellous, Rose. And that was the sound of The Power of the Dog, new from Jane Campion. You heard uh, Benedict Cumberbatch there. Finally, Anna, we're keeping it with the female directors. Um, Maggie, Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter. A lot talked about this, about this one. Um, for those uninitiated, though, talk us through a little bit of this. Well, this is Maggie's directorial debut, and my goodness, she's a fantastic director, as you might hope, given her intelligence as an actor. Um, again, based on a novel, um, it stars Olivia Coleman as a woman who is on holiday on her own, takes a sort of rather curious interest in another woman who's holidaying there, um, played by Dakota Johnson, um, who has a young daughter. And Olivia's character kind of relates to this woman and perhaps the difficulty she's having being a young mother and she flashes back in her mind to her own um, youth uh, when she's played by Jessie Buckley. Um, so terrific performances here and it really has a lot to say in quite an acerbic, uh, edgy way about motherhood, parenthood and the struggles of parenthood and, and in a way that we haven't really seen on film before. Um, well, let's have a little clip. This is uh, The Lost Daughter, new from director Maggie Gyllenhaal. Do I have kids? Yes, I have two daughters. Hey! Your mommy's a girl. You're my big girl. <sighs> She's driving me crazy. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. Well, that clip living up to the name, The Lost Daughter there, a foreboding <laughs> little, little 30 seconds there. What, um, what is, what is, what is um, the, the directorial style of, of Maggie Gyllenhaal for this? I mean, we, we, we sound like we're in sort of cold and brooding territory here, Anna. It's mysterious territory, but what you don't get from that clip, actually, that it is very funny. Um, Olivia Colman's character is, um, suitably for her as an actor, um, very abrupt and blunt and funny um, in a slightly awkward way. So that's quite fascinating. Um, it's, but really, I would say she's an intimate director, Maggie, for this, because I mean, we've interviewed her on Girls on Film, and she, she speaks about how she wants um, to capture those moments, those private moments that women have when they're alone, they don't, know, they don't think anyone's looking, and the reality of their situation. Situation, and she said to me, if she thought, if if anything wasn't honest, then she threw it out. So it really is, you know, how women's bodies really look, how women really think, the uncomfortable moments, particularly that parents may have, that we don't want to confront. So difficult, but intimate and brilliant. Beautiful. Um, and uh, we're in that kind of mad sort of log flume of films at the end of the year. We're sort of splashing into awards season. Um, what what are your kind of uh, what are your top tips come the new year, Anna? Well, I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet, Paul Thomas Anderson's film, but I hear that's yeah. fantastic. Excited to see that one. But I do think um, Jane Campion could go all the way in this award season with The Power of the Dog, I think. And Benedict's definitely one to watch for Best Actor. 
Yeah, it's been a while since the piano, right? We could we, we, we welcome her back to the stage. Anna Smith, as ever, thank you very much for your speedy presses, I suppose, of uh, 2021. Thank you very much. We're going to turn to books now. And Chris Power, who's sitting in front of me. Hi, Chris. It's nice to have you back on hey, the programme. It's nice to be here. First time in a long time. And a, a, a sort of very strong year for the novel. Although what you're starting with is uh, George Saunders' newest book, which is a sort of amusing on the form, I suppose. It is, yeah. It's it's a textbook of sorts. If you can, uh, if you can stomach the idea the of that. <laughs> um, but the most fun textbook you'll ever read, perhaps. Yeah, it's a swim in the pond in the rain, and it's cool. It's uh, named after a, a scene in a short story by Chekhov called Gooseberries, and that is one of the short stories that he he turns his kind of laser-like focus on in this book. It's five, uh, four Russian writers from the nineteenth century: uh, Tolstoy, Chekhov, Gogol, and Turgenev. And um, he looks at a selection of stories by them, and it's really a deep dive into the craft of writing and, and a sort of um, sort of creative autobiography of sorts. He writes an awful lot about his own writing in the process of studying these um, these dead Russians. And this is kind of these are sort of his notes for his students, right? He's a he's a creative writing teacher at Syracuse University or college. So this is kind of a window into how you teach this stuff and how you write this stuff, I suppose, or as much, as near as we can get a century later, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's a lot of a lot of lessons he's learned over the years of teaching at Syracuse, and I, I imagine creative writing teachers sighing into their morning coffee all over the world <laughs> yeah. and then think, oh, well, maybe I can steal some of this and use it in my classes too, because it is really like a master class. I mean, the first section, just to illustrate it, is is kind of, he takes a Chekhov story called In the Cart, and it's about maybe 10 or 12 pages long. And he, over the course of almost 50 pages, he takes a page of the Chekhov and then there's a couple of pages of analysis and then the next page analysis and, and so you get this incredibly close reading yeah. of this story um, that's just thrilling to read I mean I, I go part of the way with this book because his thesis is that if you're a attentive reader that makes you a better reader if you're a better reader it makes you better understand people and if you better understand people then you are you and the world are a better place which <laughs> Call me a cynic, but I can't quite follow him all the way there. I, the readers, good readers, are more empathetic. I get a bit it's a sort of full kitchen wary sink of that philosophy. Argument. I like yeah. it. Yeah, but um, certainly teaching you how to be an attentive reader or reminding you to be an attentive reader and the rewards of that um, are pretty stunning. And just before we get on to the, your next title, Chris, mm. as a writer of, of short story, of short stories and uh, and and novels yourself, is this? Do you kind of are you picking up from these stories, these these Russian um, short stories? What he's picking up, what what George uh, Saunders is picking up. Do you know what I mean? Is it that you kind of riffing on the same bits? Do you love the same stuff in those stories that he loves? I wonder. Some of it. I mean, Gooseberries is one of my favourite short stories, yeah. so I was very excited to read his take on it. But I think, yeah, sometimes it, it chimes with you, and you feel that sort of confirmation, and you're like, I suppose it's fist, kind of lifting the lid as well, isn't it? Yeah. And other times he just, I mean, he is he's such an acute um, reader that. You know, sometimes you're sort of left slack-jawed at some of the stuff that he's found, but at the same time, he—it's he, all—it's all in a very expressed in a very approachable way. It really communicates the thrill of of close reading. Nice. Well, that is a swim in a pond in the rain by George Saunders. That came out all the way back in January, didn't it? It was a sort it of did, it, was yeah. a, it was a good start to the year. Your next choice is My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley. Talk us through this one, Chris. 
So this is a book about a woman called Bridget and her relationship with her mum, Hen. And it's also about her relationship with her father. Her father has, has died a few years before and it charts the sort of, I guess, the latter stages of Hen's life and her relationship with Bridget, which is not good. Um, Mother-daughter relationships are obviously a rich theme for novels, always have been, right? Yeah, they yeah. are. And Gwendolyn Riley really brings a um, a sort of surgical approach to this. I mean, this is one of the funniest books I've read in a long time. It's also one of the bleakest books I've read in a long time. And it's kind of both of those things at once often. I mean, it really captures a sort of, you know, Hen and her estranged or, or ex-husband are both people who kind of really struggle to they feel a bit hard done by and they feel very uh threatened by anyone who's kind of enjoying life or maybe reading a penguin classic that's seen as like an affront to their kind of okay. non-intellectualism so bridget's sort of life with them you know she is uh a writer or someone who's who's so she's the, the vo- you're getting the voice of the novelist sort of in this narrative yeah i mean i think there's space between bridget and gwendolyn riley mm. but it's certainly um you know it it feels very lived and their relationship is is yeah it, it's it's a painful one but it's incredibly riley writes an incredibly sort of clear eye about this and really paints this picture that's that's quite acerbic but also i mean moving's the wrong word but it's very affecting i mean it's a very emotional read while or at the same time you're you're pretty much laughing on every page while you're grimacing and gwendon riley is a novelist of a sort right and she her books have a sort of similar sort of skeleton i suppose or a similar kind of atmosphere to them am i, am I right in saying it is she is she reinventing her own wheel with this one or is just in a no i think over the course of over the course of her novels she's been sort of like I guess, refining her style. Her style has been developing. It's almost like she's getting better and better at what she's been trying to do with successive books, and particularly First Love, the last book, which was shortlisted for the Women's Prize, and this book, which has been mysteriously absent from prize lists. I think with those last two books, First Love and My Phantom, she's she's really written two masterpieces. I like bleakness and and very funny in the same same page. Same page, same line, same word. (laughs) Um, It sounds fantastic. Um, It's My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley. And we're finishing up with Rachel Cusk. Um, This is second place. Yeah, I mean, this wonderful novelist. Um, But what about this one? This is kind of a departure. I mean, the Outline trilogy, her last three fiction books, there was an essay collection in between, but they were sort of huge hits and kind of reshaped her her form. And she could have kind of done that again but I think it's to be sort of applauded that she's actually changed her style significantly for this I mean this is a story about a a woman called M who invites her famous painter called L to her like remote coastal home because she's got a cottage the second place of the title where he can work and it's kind of a, a disaster unfolds after he arrives there's a she doesn't name it, but people can't travel. It seems like it's it's the pandemic yeah. is there. Um, she wrote it, you know, in, in uh, 2020. And um, this sort of psychodrama plays out between her and Elle. They, they have this relationship. He's quite like, he can see how much she wants him to like her. And he kind of weaponizes that and uses it against her. And there's a lot about... Um, I mean, hearing Anna talk about The Lost Daughter, it felt like this could be a sort of companion piece. There's a lot of incredible writing about 
being a mother and and the relationship between a mother and a daughter. But there's also this weird sort of not sexual but sort of relationship of of attraction between M and L. But it's it's like just when you really need someone to like you, and this person yeah. sort of takes that, screws it up, throws it back in your face. It's uh, it's very powerful. It is also very funny as well, which which hasn't really been mentioned a lot in 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 sort of reviews of it and stuff. And it's that thing of how close do you want to get? You know, the act of reading a novel is to sort of commune with an, an artist that you admire, I suppose. And it's how close do you want really want to get to the source of that inspiration a lot of the time, right? This is the classic classic writer's retreat. There's there so many good murder mysteries could be set on writer's retreats. I'm imagining, right? Because <laughs> it's sure, like, right, yeah. let's get let's, let's <laughs> tap into the wellspring of of creativity, and it's like, well, there's a lot of bastards that do this. For there's a, a lot of anger there, a yeah. lot of a lot of a uh, lot of treachery. But yeah, but it's also I should say that it's sort of based on a book uh, called Lorenzo and Taos by Mabel Dodge Lewin, which I think is why M is called M and L is called L, because it was about Mabel Dodge Lewin lived in Taos, New Mexico, and she invited D.H. Lawrence to stay in back in the uh, early 30s, and uh, he kind of ran riot. And that's sort of this is a sort of reimagining of that, of that text. Nice. Um, that is Second Place from Rachel Cusk. That came out um, back in May. Chris Power. Thank you so much. Really nice to have you back on the programme. Thank you. Um, Laura, it's music time. Should we start fast with a clip mm-hmm. um, of, your, of your, first, uh, your first choice, which is Tyler, the creator, and this is Wilshire. We spent about two weeks together, only skip one day, and they say bros over hoes. I'm like, nah, hey, I would rather hold your hand and have a cool handshake. But whatever, we still could be friends. It could still be chance. I'm a player cool. We got something we cannot pretend. Uh, uh. Laura Snapes' choice is Tyler, the creator, um, from the album Call Me If You Get Lost. We heard Wilshire from that. He's done well. <laughs> yeah. Again this year, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Riding high and all the year endless. We just heard like a fraction of that song, which is this like devastating, cinematic, eight minute long song about an unrequited. Well, it's, it's it's like a requited romance, but it's with the girlfriend of his friend, and so they can't do anything about it. But they're deeply into each other. But there's this obstacle that they can't overcome. And there's that great line in the clip that we heard where he said, "I'd rather hold your hand than have a cool handshake." And over the course of these eight minutes, he really grapples with like he wants her she knows that he knows that she wants him as well feels guilty about the friend it's almost like goes through all of the um like the stages of grief figuring out how he (laughs) feels about this relationship and it is gripping like i'll put it on repeat in the car and you're transfixed like you're listening to like a murder mystery podcast or something true crime (laughs) all the details are so good that's that sort of like the the standout song on a record which otherwise finds him at once reflective and like looking back on more of the kind of like hellraiser that he was when he first appeared, yeah. you know, when he was getting banned from the UK by the prime minister because he was too outrageous. Um, and also looking <laughs> Imagine at... that, the, the, <laughs> <No>. the, the horror. <laughs> um, and also looking at the the sort of the spoils of life as he, as he could never have imagined uh, when he was younger that he has now. Um, it's called Call Me If You Get Lost. And the album sort of plays out like this really beautiful travelogue where it's him and his friends like going around the world, experiencing all these super luxurious things like being on a yacht or there's a bit where somebody's like, oh, this French chick's feeding me like French vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and some of the Guardian commenters were saying like, oh, he's just bragging about blah, blah, blah. But I think actually there's a sense of wonderment and awe at these things of somebody who just never thought that they would have them. 
And it's such an interestingly woven together record. You've got that side of it. And between the songs as well, you've also got these interstitials by DJ Drama, who used to um, like host, curate these really influential uh, Gangster Grills mixtape series, which has been like very low activity for quite a long time. But years ago, Tyler said his big ambition was to have a Gangster Grills tape. And he's sort of revived the form. But it's sort of, he and he's like rapping really hard on this record in a way that he hasn't on maybe his slightly poppier records that he's released in the past few years. But it's it's such an enormously broad record. You've got the Gangster Grill side of it. The samples on it are really, really rich. The sound is so broad. And, you know, for his last album, Eagle, he won the Grammy Award for Rap Album of the Year. And when he was accepting it, he was like, I think rap is just a way that you like ghettoize. And maybe it was called urban at the time. Yeah. But he said, this is just a term that you use to ghettoize people that look like me. And not that it's ever been in, you know, sort of um, in doubt. But I think this record shows the breadth of his ambition and like his scope and his artistry i think it's really incredible and reading around this um album call me if you get lost i heard some reviewers sort of refer to it as a kind of like patchwork and it's based on baudelaire and you mm-hmm. know this kind of idea of flat the flanner and yeah, w- yeah walking or traveling around the world and being kind of flash and having a great time and writing everything down i suppose right yeah and joy just, uh, sort of you know reveling in it those yeah. details are so charming one of the other ones that i really love is um somebody just repeatedly exclaims in one song there's quite a few guests on it I've got my feet out and I'm on a yacht and there's just something so joyful about I've got my feet out which <laughs> really tickles me every solving time. the problem of what shoes to wear on a yacht mm-hmm. which we all no. have grappled with haven't we many times what do you do just get your feet out Crocs Crocs <laughs> says Laura Snapes um, that was Call Me If You Get Lost we heard a little bit of it called Wilshire the artist is of course Tyler the creator and that's his uh, he's clocking them up his sixth um, solo album um, next Wolf Alice who, yeah, they've had a, a sort of solid year, a lot of a lot of love for this this record. Yeah, definitely. So their second album won the Mercury Music Prize, and I think there was quite a bit of surprise around that, and I think maybe there was the air of people thinking that it was the only sort of like consensus vote within that year's um, Mercury cohort. Um, but this one is even better than that. Like, I've always thought that they were quite good, but I don't think they've ever made such a complete piece of work as this one. It's called Blue Weekend. Um, and when they were when they were first making it, um, they were recording in Brussels with the producer Marcus Drafts, who's who you work with if you want to sort of like capital G, capital B, go big. Like, he works with Arcade Fire and Florence and I think Coldplay. And that's a risky thing to try and do if you're... Can we have a bit less echo? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're for... Like, I, Wolf Alice are brilliant, but I think one of the nice things about them is that they are not posturing at all they're quite sort of like shy nice young people and they don't seem to have been changed by whatever fame they have at all um, and then also the the pandemic started while they were in the studio in Brussels and so they decided to, well, they were trapped there, so they stayed there and they meticulously refined the album. And I think both of those things could have been so risky, going big when that's not in your nature and meticulously refining something I think really risks sucking all the life out of it. But somehow the opposite happened um, and it's this big, beautiful, cinematic record. They said in lieu of being able to try songs out in front of a live audience, they would play film clips on mute and play the songs over the top and see if they felt sort of bigger enough like they talked you know, I like that yeah they talked about like finding scenes of yeah. people driving along with their like head hanging out the window of the car and seeing if a song would fit um, <laughs> the sort of AM rock yeah. play okay <laughs> and, and it has quite a cinematic sweep across the record as well like it starts 
We're, it starts with a song about Ellie Rousel, the singer, has said that it's probably her least memoir-like album. So I don't want to say it's her, but the protagonist of the album breaking, like falling out with their friends really badly. Then I think one of the songs after immediately after that is about a relationship breakup and realize or realizing that your partner's been cheating on you, but opting to stay with them. And then the mid part of the album is really nihilistic in a way that I think when you have become untethered from the things that keep you grounded, you can veer into that quite easily um and i think you know one thing that people have criticized wolf alice for over the years is that they haven't like picked a sound and stuck to it which seems like a very old-fashioned way of thinking about things to me but i think the vaulting emotional states of this record make the best use of their ability to do so much stuff musically like there's really great sort of big epic rock songs on there and then there's almost like this camp psycho billy rager kind of thing (laughs) there's this beautiful ballad called uh, the last man on earth which is sort of psychedelia in that like bowie pink floydy kind of way and it's you know it's it's tonally different all the way through but it hangs together so beautifully and it's got lots of genuinely moving moments on it and I think that Ellie Rousel's songwriting as well I don't think it's ever been stronger a lot of the songs aren't what they seem at face value like there's one called Delicious Things and the the basic storyline is her protagonist is in LA being swept away by some guy taking drugs and saying yes to everything and it can sound a bit sort of naive and wide-eyed but she's singing about like actually the vibes are kind of wrong here I know this guy's only here for one thing and it ends with just a line from a phone call where she's saying hey is mum there it's me I just felt like calling and you just see how easily all the bravado collapses yeah I I love it okay Laura um, well obviously I've been rather remiss we haven't heard the clip that we should have done at the beginning of this bit Uh, this is Wolf Alice and this is How Can I Make It Okay That was How Can I Make It Okay um, from Wolf Alice's um, latest record, Blue Weekend, as described and recommended by Laura Snopes, who we go to for our final track or our final choice um, of the programme, and that is the brilliant Amy Mann. Yes, Uh, yes. her new record is called Queens of the Summer Hotel, and it is songs that she wrote for a musical of Girl Interrupted, the Susanna Kazan memoir and obviously the, the 90s film, which I think is on hold because of the pandemic. When I spoke to her, she wasn't sure where the play was at, but she decided that she was going to release these songs as an album. Do you want to listen to some? Yes, that, without further ado. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Laura. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally, someone's prompting me. There's a girl over a cliff Trying to break her fall Okay, little teeny bit of the vibe of mm-hmm. the effortless, as always, Amy Mann. What territory is she in? Is she in here? With this, it's very elegiac balladry, I would say. Like it, you know, with her typical sort of like wry, like you say, very effortless sort of delivery. And the songs, some of them are quite directly transposed from the book or from the memoir. Yeah. Um, like there's the, there's a song about the character Daisy, who I think is abused by her father. There's a song called Suicide is Murder, which is very blunt and to the point. And I think some people have had a problem with it. But I think, you know, it's coming from a place where I think Amy Mann has known a lot of people who have taken their lives and also experienced quite serious mental health herself uh, and been surrounded by women in her life. You know, her mother in particular, I interviewed her recently and she talked about the sort of difficulties of that relationship. Um, and then the song that we heard, I See You, that's a bit more sort of 
of a zoomed out, just sort of um, like a hand in the dark kind of song. And, you know, I haven't read Girl Interrupted since I was a teenager. I probably haven't seen the film since then either. But it works really well as a standalone record. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's you know, there's, there's so much stuff to dive into off the back of it. There's a song about Robert Lowell and Sylvia Plath and a moment in Girl Interrupted, I believe, where um, Susanna Kazan goes to the Frick Museum and sees this Vermeer painting and has this real moment of communication with it. But I had long, long forgotten that. But you just... Amy Mansell's these stories so well they seem so personal um and you know, i just i just think she's perennially underrated yeah she's I'm, phenomenal yeah and did she maybe it's because she makes it look so easy yeah and and i guess and i yeah and it kind of yeah maybe yeah maybe it looks easy when it comes from comes from her pen i suppose mm-hmm. um i loved i'm with stupid yonks and yonks mm-hmm. ago the magnolia soundtrack's amazing i mean she's it's like super super brilliant and i wonder about that that the, the soundtrack um, thing it obviously f- sort of it's you, I guess as a songwriter you have a nice constraint when you have to fit it into a particular you know a particular song cycle a particular topic a particular kind of storyline for someone like her that you could feel could go anywhere and use her talent for anything it's probably maybe I don't know I don't know what I don't what, what was she a good interview I wonder Amy she was a fantastic interview yeah. yeah and also I think I spoke I was supposed to speak to her for about an hour or forty five minutes and she stayed on the phone for two and a half hours she was just Whoa. like I really need to eat some breakfast I've got to go <laughs> um, but she's written character led songs I would say since about. 2004, 2005, I forget the exact dates, but her album from around then, The Forgotten Arm, is a story that she contrived around um, a couple where I think he's like a boxer at a circus or something and they're very down and out and maybe he's an addict. That's also being turned into a musical. But I think since that point in her career, she's written much more character-led songs and sort of specifically personal stuff, which I think the earlier solo records do dwell on more. And also the fantastic Till Tuesday albums, which I think are really underrated. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is amazing. Amy Mann, brilliant. I like the two two and a half hour interview as she had to sort of break (laughs) off for breakfast. That's good. That's, That's a sign of a good interview. I think right she's got a lot of great stories yeah I bet she has she's she's wonderful it's um a fitting way to to bow out for 2021 so to recap in film we had I'm your man the power of the dog and lost daughter for books we heard about a swim in a pond in the rain by George Saunders my phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley and second place by Rachel Cusk and in music we had Tyler the creator call me if you get lost wolf Alice blue weekend and Amy Mann's Queens of the summer hotel and that brings us to the end of this episode of Monocle on Culture. My thanks to Anna Smith, Chris Power and Laura Snapes and to my producers Holly Fisher and Sophie Monaghan-Coombs. We'll be back at the same time next week when we'll be recapping our favourite moments of the programme this year. But until then, from me, Robert Bound, thank you very much for tuning in and have a very Merry Christmas. (laughs) 